This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Tax credit scholarship programs are rapidly becoming one of the country's most popular school choice programs. When Illinois enacted a tax credit program in 2017, it became the 18th state to do so. And according to the Education Next poll, 57% of of adults nationwide support the idea, while only 27% oppose it, the rest being neutral on the issue. So by contrast, the public is evenly divided when it comes to school vouchers. So tax credits are more popular than vouchers. And one of the reasons why they may be more popular is because taxpayers like the savings. Florida saves $1.49 in public school costs for every dollar spent on the tax credits. And uh, private schools like the fact that the money comes with few strings attached. And they've been found constitutional by many state Supreme Courts. But the bottom line is, do they work? And I have with me today Matthew Chingus, Director of the Center on Education Data and Policy at the Urban Institute, who has just released a study of the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship Program. He and his colleagues have prepared that uh, study. And, And Matt, it's good to have you with me on the Education Exchange. Thanks for having me. So, Matt, let's start with the big question. Uh, Does the Florida Tax Scholarship Program work? The top-line finding of our new study is that students who participate in the the program, meaning they get some um, public money to go to private school, are more likely to enroll in college and they're more likely to graduate from college than students who went to the same public schools and had similar demographics, similar test scores, um, but didn't go to a private school. Well, Matt, we want to dig into your study more deeply, uh, but before we do so, would you describe exactly how the Florida Tax Scholarship Program uh, works? Uh, how does the money actually get from the donor to the student? So the, the Tax Credit Scholarship Program, in some ways, it's like a voucher program, um, but it's funded a little differently. It's not funded directly by public tax dollars. It's funded indirectly by sort of tax dollars that are never collected. So basically a donor, in this case in Florida it's a corporation, a corporate donor uh, makes a donation to a scholarship granting organization, which is a nonprofit that makes the scholarships. Um, and then instead of the government, you know, sort of directly paying for the scholarships, the, the state government reimburses the donor in the form of a tax credit. So the program is funded by these uh, tax credits, which encourage donors to make donations to the scholarship granting organization, which then administers the program and provides the scholarships to children from low-income families. Well, that's a little different from my tax deduction when I give some money to uh, the University of Chicago, where I went to uh, graduate school. When I give them a uh, a, a charitable contribution, I can take a tax deduction, but it's still going to cost me some money. But this is even different from that, isn't it? That's right. So as you said, with the deduction, you're still putting some of your own money on the table. The government's just kind of helping to cover the cost. With the tax credit, it doesn't always have to be one for one, but in the Florida case, it's one for one. So it doesn't actually cost the corporation anything to make that contribution. So in other words, it's really very similar to a voucher, but without any uh, government hands being put directly on the money, it goes from the the donor to this scholarship foundation. Now, these scholarship foundations, uh, what kinds of entities are these? How do we know that these are reliable institutions? So in some places, there would be multiple entities. In Florida, there's really just one. A Step Up for Students is a nonprofit organization down there that administers the program. I think they administer something like 99% of the scholarships that, that are made through this program. 
So it's one organization, and you get the scholarship, and then you can use it to go to any private school that you want in the state of Florida? Yeah, more or less. I mean, a private school has to decide to participate in the program, and not all schools participate because there are some you know, requirements they, they, they have, to, have to meet. Um, but uh, it, it's a pretty broad group of private schools. Do you have a percentage on that? Do we know what percentage of the private schools in Florida are participating? I don't think I have that. Yeah. Well, so how long has the program been in existence, Matt? It's been around a while. It was first in place in the 2002-2003 school year. So I guess that means it's you know, now more than 16 years old. So, and the, how much uh, money can a student receive, and uh, what's the size of the scholarship? So in the early years of the program, it was about $3,500 was the maximum amount you could get. And now that's been increased to over $6,000. Now, can that cover the total cost, or does the family have to put up some money on their own? So it would depend on the school. Obviously, a school could charge lower tuition or provide their own financial aid and scholarships. Um, but in a lot of cases, the family would uh, have to contribute some of their own money, and they have the ability to do that. Now, is this just for low-income students? Is there a, a limit on how much your family can earn in order for you to get a scholarship? So in the years that we that are covered by our study, you know, most of those earlier years of the program, there was a limit of 185% of the poverty level, so basically the same income limit there is for the Federal Free and Reduced Price Launch Program. Um, since then, uh, the cap has been risen, I believe, to around 250% of the poverty level, so it's now serving students who you might think of as kind of lower middle class or even middle class. So uh, is this restricted to students who have previously been in public schools? Do you have to first go to public school and then you get the scholarship and you go to private school, or can you directly go to a private school? So that's also changed. So once again, most of the period we study is the earlier years of the program because you have to wait for kids to get old enough to maybe go to college, the subject of our study. So during that period, most kids had to previously be in a public school before they could get the tax credit money and go to a private school. Um, but that uh, requirement has since been lifted, and so you, now you can go directly to a private school. Well, you know, I said when the uh, program, when in the opening comment there, that it would save the taxpayer money. Is that still true? Because I was citing an older study on that. What, what do we know about how much this is costing the government to set up this program? So, so the, I'm not sure we have really robust numbers on that, but the last study I've seen is similar to, to what you mentioned, which is that the you know per student funding. Uh, to the program tends to be lower than, than to the public schools. Uh, so it does seem to, to save the taxpayers at least some money. Well, this is quite a, a, an amazing bargain. Uh, if it costs the state of Florida less money than it would to have the child educated at the public school, and yet the low-income uh, child is going to be able to go to college or have a better chance of going to college if they uh, accept the scholarship, I mean, that's sort of a big impact finding. So. Uh, let me ask you uh, a, a few questions about how you got this study, because not everybody's going to believe you right off the top. They, you know, what is it that makes you confident that this is an accurate account of the impact of the program? So, so what we do in this study is we, because in, in these early days of the program you had to first be in a public school, we can get pretty good data from the public school system on kids who participated and kids who didn't participate. Um, so you have kids who they were in the same school, in the same grade, in the same year. They could have even been in the same classroom for all we know. 
And then within that, we matched them to make sure that they had similar test scores, similar demographics in terms of free lunch participation and race and age and the language they spoke at home and whether they were born in the United States and the sort of whole host of characteristics. Um, but then, so you could have two kids, same school, same grade, same year, you know, similar characteristics. One goes on to participate in the program, and the other one doesn't. Now, that wasn't determined by some lottery. It's not quite the gold standard, but it's what some people might call a silver standard study, where you've you know, adjusted for everything you possibly can, found kids who are as similar in everything that you could possibly observe, except for the fact that one participated in the program and the other didn't. So that sounds, that sounds very good. Now, I, I noticed that uh, in terms of how well the student was performing uh, when they were in public school, that the uh, scholarship students were uh, performing about 35% of a standard deviation below average. I think I'm right on that. Is that, is that right? Are they really quite low-performing students? That's right. People often talk about, you know, these uh, choice programs, cream-skimming kids. But at least in terms of academics, the kids who are going into the uh, program tended to be, you know, from lower-scoring uh, kids who, who scored less well on standardized tests. That's partly the fact that it's limited to lower-income kids. So this is a program that really tends to enroll, at least in the period of our study, uh, kids with from disadvantaged backgrounds who tended to be relatively low-scoring on standardized tests in the public schools. Well, are private schools willing to admit students who are that low-performing? The sort of uh, myth that a lot of people have, and I must admit I might be among them, is that private schools won't admit a student unless they uh, look promising. Well, I, that surely varies by private school. That's certainly the case for some private schools. You know, some private schools wouldn't even participate in this program. Um, those that do can still use their regular admissions policies so they can decide which students to admit. Um, we've also seen a growth in the private school sector in Florida over the years since the program has been in place. So now what we're seeing more and more are private schools that mostly serve students who are funded through this program. And you can see that as a good thing because it means more kids have an opportunity to go to a private school through the program. But you also might worry, well, are those schools as good as the existing private schools? Well, do you see any differences if you start looking at students who go to well-established uh, private schools that have been around for a long time as opposed to those that are sort of uh, newly uh, established? Uh, do you see any difference in the outcomes? Are they uh, one more likely to get the children into college? So we haven't taken a look at that with our new data yet because what our new data do is they look at college enrollment anywhere in the country, Florida, not Florida, public, private. In our prior study, we had data just on enrollment at public colleges and universities in Florida. And we did find some differences there when we looked at different kinds of private schools. We found that the private schools where most of the kids were on the program weren't seeing much of a positive effect. They weren't seeing a negative effect, so they weren't being harmed, but it was sort of a wash. Whereas the schools that maybe had been around for longer, you know, partly served kids on the program, but not majority kids on the program, they seem to have more positive effects. So that's something we're planning to follow up with the, uh, with the new data when we have some time. So you mentioned a previous study, and I've taken a look at that study. Uh, can you tell me how your new study, I know you just mentioned it quickly, can you go into more detail? How does your latest study differ from the one you uh, issued a few, uh, a year or two ago? So there's two key differences between the, the new study and the old study. The first one, which I would think is the most important difference, is that in the old study, we only had data on enrollment in Florida public colleges. So if you went to a community college or a you know, four-year university run by the state of Florida, you were in the data. But if you went to a private college, if you went to an out-of-state college, 
we didn't capture that. And you might imagine going to a private high school, for example, might lead you to go more likely to go to a, a private college. So in the new study, uh, we capture all those enrollments. The second thing is that because we have some more years of data now, we can track a larger number of kids, so it enables us to have some more precision in our estimates and enables us to look in a more robust way at not just college enrollment, but college graduation. Did you get a degree, especially did you get a bachelor's degree, which was something we couldn't do very well in the earlier study. So, and I, as I recall, this is a, uh, your results do differ quite a bit, because I think in the first study, we're seeing some signs that it might be beneficial to get a scholarship, whereas now you see uh, it's a pretty clear uh, benefit to, uh, to the average student. That's right. The overall results are certainly stronger, and they're stronger in a couple different ways. One is that in the prior study, we found a positive effect on going to any college, but it was almost entirely based on kids who went to a, a community college in Florida. They're called Florida State Colleges, and not so much by the public four-year university system. Whereas in the new study, what we find is effects not just on the two-year enrollment, but also on the four-year enrollment, um, and both four-year publics, but also four-year private universities, not state universities. Um, and we see particularly strong results for kids who use a tax credit scholarship to go to a private high school. The results there are now stronger than for kids who went to a private elementary or middle school. Um, and the other big difference is the degree attainment, the college graduation. In the prior study, it was a little bit mixed whether kids who participated in the program were more likely to get an associate degree. In the new study, that's still true more or less, but now we can have a much clearer look at bachelor's degrees because we have just more kids that let us do that. And we see pretty clear evidence of increases in bachelor's degree attainment of about one or two percentage points. So these aren't enormous effects, but of the kids who stayed in the public system who also had, you know, low income, were from low-income families and had, you know, relatively low test scores, only about 10% of them got a bachelor's degree um, within six years of when we'd expect them to, to leave high school. And now for the kids who participated in the program, it's 11 or 12%. So this isn't, you know, moving the needle kind of in closing that gap, but it's making a measurable difference. So, you know, I, I always find it so fascinating that when you look at a low-income student uh, who's participating or not, or, or let me put it another way, is not participating in uh, any kind of a special program, uh, the chances that they will actually get a four-year college degree is only 10%. Now, how does that compare with the national average? Well, nationally, the share of, say, people 25 to 29 with a, a bachelor's degree is somewhere in the order of 30, 35 percent. Um, so for low-income kids, that number has always been, been lower because there's just really enormous disparities in educational attainment based on, you know, the income and the education of your parents. Yeah, so there's a big difference between 35 percent and 10 percent. So only 10 percent of these students are. And so even if you shift it up, what, a percentage point or two, that's actually, you know, a 10 or 20 percent increase in the chances of getting uh, a college degree. That's right. So it's a meaningful increase, but it's still pretty depressing how, how weak the outcomes are. For, yeah, for so you can get very and discouraged uh, and, and encouraged all at the, at the same time, can't you? Um, right, right. So are there heterogeneities in your data? Um, do you see any differences between those who come from very poor families, uh, eligible for free lunch, and those who are in the reduced lunch category, which has more income? you see anything like that or by ethnic group, or have you looked for that yet? So we haven't taken a look at that with the new data. So far we've just put out kind of a, a quick initial set of results since we just got the data in the last couple of months. 
So we'll be looking into that more. But I can say that in the prior study with the more limited data, we didn't find you know, any really striking patterns of results that jumped out at us. You know, in general, the results are pretty, you know, uh, pretty positive across the board. A little bit of variation here and there, but nothing that seemed really consistent. But that's something that we'll take a closer look at now that we have better data. Well, you've got more observations now. You've got private schooling uh, opportunities now. Uh, you're looking over a more extended period of time. I think all of that uh, sort of suggests that uh, this could be a basis for we should stay tuned, right? Exactly. One of the things you say that your study is about the past, it doesn't predict the future, but how about over the course of the years that you did study, you've looked at these, uh, this program over quite a period of time. Did you see any evolution of the program? Is it more effective for students who are entering now, or do you see any changes over time? So in the prior study, we looked kind of year by year and didn't see much of a trend. In the current study, we do compare sort of the current cohorts of kids who we can include in the new study, that's a bigger group of kids, versus the smaller in the old study, and the results seem maybe a little bit weaker now than they were, but I think that's kind of not quite enough to really make a conclusive statement about a trend, so that's something we'll want to take a closer look at when we dig more into these data. Well, the one thing you did do is to look at the difference between high school students and uh, and elementary school students, the, the, the year that they actually begin accepting a scholarship. Uh, does it, is it, do you have to start early to benefit from a scholarship, or can you benefit but when you enter into high school? If, if anything, we find it's the opposite. It's the kids who start later that see a bigger effect. Now, of course, the kids who start earlier, a lot of them come back to the public system for high schools. Because my understanding from talking to some of the folks down there is there's not quite as robust a supply of private high schools. So in a lot of cases, a kid will take a tax credit scholarship, go in elementary or middle school, and maybe they'd like to stay in a private high school, but if there isn't one in their town or one with any space in it, well, then they can't go. So that doesn't mean that it's, there's more of an effect of going to a, a private high school. It could reflect that kids who go to a private high school are having that experience through high school, whereas kids who go in elementary and middle school are getting some benefit from it, um, but it's a benefit that they you know, sort of realize after they've returned, in some cases, to the public sector for high school. Well, there's a, a, a big theory out there in economics uh, that says that you've got to intervene with very young people, otherwise you'll never make a difference because the biggest impacts are going to happen in, in preschool or the very early years. That You're not finding evidence for that here, are you? No, I mean, we've seen we've found pretty clear evidence that in high school there's pretty large effects. So, you know, kids who are leaving the public school system in eighth grade, some leave, some stay. And then on average, the kids who are choosing to leave um, are, are, are seeing gains in terms of their college enrollment and, and graduation that are, are pretty large, especially if they you know, stay in the program for a number of years. Well, that fits with some of the data that I've been looking at, which shows that uh, kids uh, uh, have been uh, doing pretty well up through eighth grade, but there's not much learning after, after eighth grade. And, and we haven't seen much improvement over time uh, among 17-year-old kids when we see a lot of improvement among younger kids. And I think you've looked at that kind of data, too. So is the high school the problematic institution in American education? I think it's certainly an institution that we don't pay enough attention to, right? I mean, look, no child left behind and the things that have succeeded it have really focused on achievement as measured on tests in three through eight. And then there's the old once in high school or maybe look at a graduation rate. Um, but the graduation rate doesn't necessarily tell you what people are learning. It just tells you whether they met enough requirements to get through. So I think high schools are kind of an underexplored area for both researchers and policymakers. 
Well, there are rumors out there that uh, some folks in Congress with the backing of the Trump administration are going to propose a nationwide tax credit scholarship program. What do you think of this idea? Is it a worthy initiative, or don't we have enough data to decide to do that yet? Well, I think it would depend a lot on how it's structured. I mean, obviously, uh, K-12 education is mostly a state and local issue, so it makes sense that we've seen a lot of uh, innovation here, here in different states. So I think whether it's a good idea or not will just depend on how a, a national program you know, might be designed and, and how it would work. Well, thank you, Matt, for your report on the Florida State Scholarship Program. We look forward to uh, your downstream research uh, in this area. Uh, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks again for having me. I've been speaking with Matthew Chingos, the director of the Center on Education Data and Policy. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern Time.